0: welcome to new books and film on the new books network i'm your host joel Cherney. today i will be speaking with richard backstrom and todd myers about their book violence's fabled experiment published in 2018 by august verlag richard and todd are anthropologists who have a specific interest in film and its importance as a way to study the world they review some of the works of three filmmakers Werner herzog Joshua Oppenheimer and Lucien castaigne Taylor, both to critique the use of violence by each of the filmmakers, but also as a way to better understand the concepts of origins and man versus nature. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Richard Backstrom and Todd Myers. Hi, Richard. Hi, Todd. Hello. Hello. Hi, Joel. Thanks for joining me again for people who have listened to this podcast for a while. I interviewed you both in March of 2017 about your previous book that you wrote together, "Realizing the Witch, Science, Cinema, and the Mastery of the Invisible." Uh, so uh, glad to have you on with your new book, "Violence's Fabled Experiment." Uh, as we were talking about prior to the start of the recording, this is an area that is a that is a little outside of my normal comfort zone, but I still felt i really wanted to talk about it because uh you know it's an important topic in general so uh thanks for joining me
1: well great it's it's great to be here and you know we'll we'll talk about it and i'm i'm sure it's more within your comfort zone than perhaps it looks like at first i mean it's you know it's it's a book that we hope uh, appeals to a wider audience and and so we're happy to be here and to talk about that yeah
0: okay great uh like i said before i don't want to assume that people heard the previous podcast. So I'd like to uh, give you both a chance real briefly to give us your background and uh, where you are as far as your current work and things like that. So let's start with Richard.
1: Okay, well, I I teach at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And, um, you know, I've been there for nearly 12 years now. Um, And the work that we've been doing, including the work that we'll be talking about today, has been occupying much of my, you know, sort of uh, intellectual kind of engagement uh, at present, but I've also, you know, done a lot of more traditional ethnographic work in Southeast Asia. And um, as far as the sort of working partnership goes, uh, I mean, Todd and I have known each other since we were graduate students together back in in the U.S. at Johns Hopkins, and we've just uh, always kept Kept the band going, so to speak. So yeah, that's me, that's me.
2: So I'm Todd, yep. Uh, So I'm Todd Myers. I'm an associate professor of anthropology at NYU in Shanghai. So I've been in Shanghai for nearly three years now. Um, I direct a center there, the Center for Society Health and Medicine. Um, Sometimes I call myself a medical anthropologist because I work on um, topics of health and medicine. I do a lot of ethnographic research um around chronic illness um but one of the areas and i share this with richard is an interest in visual culture and in cinema so richard and i as i'm sure we'll talk about later in the the podcast you know we have sort of ongoing projects that draw on our sort of specific expertise certainly the second chapter of this book which deals with indonesia um is is an area that you know richard has been working on since even before graduate school. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as with our last book, when we talked about, you know, problems of psychiatry at the beginning of the 20th century, it sort of, you know, inflect certain, um, areas of interest of mine in the history of medicine and in diagnostics. And, um, yeah, so those are, so, so these works, even though they're focused on cinema and visual culture often bring, I think, elements of our other, our other careers as anthropologists together
1: and kind of fuse them in interesting ways. So, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I would say that it's, it's in, in, in a way, some of the elements that you alluded to before, because it's about film, but it's also about quite a few other topics. You know, this particular book violence is fabled experiment, but that's, uh, that's something that's quite intentional. And some of, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily an innovation you know, a lot of other scholars and activists do this as well. But uh, authors do this. Oh, sorry, my phone went off. Um, it's
0: okay. I just had a message notification and I thought I had everything properly muted. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just just know. Know.
0: 21st century. It's why we can
1: talk to each century. other when you guys are in Berlin. Yeah. But but, uh, but this is, you know, so we, we, we are trained and we work as anthropologists, but uh, both of us have, you know, a divergent range of other kinds of interests, other sorts of training or experience or expertise and trying to bring it together into sort of coherence engagements with specific kinds of works, be they visual works of visual culture or something else yeah. is, is what we try to do. And so we do tend to be very focused on specific kinds of objects of engagement, but from the diverse points of view that, uh, we can bring to it, uh, based on, based on the approaches that we've taken before and what we have to offer, you know? So yeah. yeah. It's a good
0: thing that these days, uh, because people are able to, uh, you know, the publishing, whatever you want to call it, the publishing industry allows for these days for really in-depth but unusual pairings of concepts. And that's where it's interesting because uh, we get into the area where, for example, in your case, where you're anthropologists, but you're also talking about film and not films that are specifically, you know, anthropologically yeah. geared, but it's still the same concept that you're able to bring a different focus to film, which is great as far as I'm concerned. So uh, so the book, Violence's Fabled Experiment, obviously you geared the whole thing towards the concept of violence. And um, the three filmmakers that you study in the book which we'll talk about, uh, you you focus on their their use of violence in their films. So what led you to decide that this was a topic that you felt needed, uh, deserved some extra, some added um, Mm
1: -hmm. uh, discussion? Right. Well, I suppose the genesis of the book, I mean, in a certain way, I think... We were, we were thinking not necessarily about the book as it, as it turned out, but about this, this idea, even when we were working on our previous book, uh, book realizing the witch. And the reason for that is the Joshua Oppenheimer films were being released at around that time. And these are, you know, as, as we say in the book, these are very powerful, but very troubling films. And they're also films that I think are very difficult to respond to. Uh, you know, they tend to themselves generate very extreme kinds of responses. Of you know, this is either a really innovative and one of the best films I've ever seen, or it's a terrible. You know, it's a kind of cultural pornography, and it's trying to represent the unrepresentable in a way that should not be done uh, with people who have experienced uh, deeply traumatic or violent incidents. And so, you know, we've been thinking about this for a long time, and I don't want to say that the book itself in the broader sense was generated by an engagement with Joshua Oppenheimer's films. Uh, and then we added something on, but the question, the core question that we take up, I think started when we just tried to grasp in a meaningful way, what Oppenheimer intended to do with his films and what we think was actually going on in the films. And these are two different things. So, so over time, we started to think about his relation to other other kinds of films and other sorts of popular nonfiction films in very in very recent times. Uh, Werner Herzog, of course, is, is quite widely known, and we've loved Herzog's films for a long time. So he gets into the mix, and Castan Taylor is, you know, also he's produced some very striking works uh, in in recent years that just sort of seem to naturally kind of become enfolded into the, the larger sort of engagement that we were trying to have. I don't know, Todd, if that, that yeah. represents it for you, but that's kind of where it started yeah. Yeah. in terms of our thinking.
2: Yeah. It's a in, in a lot of ways, it's a different kind of project than the one that we took off on in our last, in our last effort. The realizing the witch was a, we really wanted to do a, a kind of deep read of Benjamin Christensen's film through his own archive of source material we knew that we were going to focus exclusively on one film and really forensically and obsessively take it take it apart and put it back together in our writing and see really what constituted this film what sorts of pressures of the moment being sort of the early part of the 20th century it's 1922 it really is kind of you know time zero of modernism so many things were going on we wanted to look at it through that lens so it was a much more concerted effort in that book as a book and with this book, like Richard was saying, um, the middle chapter, which is a response to the two films that Joshua Oppenheimer made, which were about the Indonesian massacres in the mid 1960s, um, those that was originally an essay. Um, we we're both great lovers, I would say that we're lovers of and Taylor's films, and we're great admirers of what goes on in the sensory ethnography lab at Harvard, and yet we find ourselves scratching our heads at times and wanting to engage in a different way than simply liking or not liking, which are the sort of, as Richard mentioned, the kind of two poles of reactions to these films, which at times are difficult to watch, not just because of the traumatic um, content, but also just their, at least in the at least in the context of the Century Ethnography Lab, they're overwhelming, and that overwhelming experience can also be um, difficult to enter into, like for a viewer to create a relationship with the film. And with Herzog, so Richard and I, a part of the background of that chapter is we, we've always admired the nonfiction films of Herzog, and maybe really, really admired the, <laughs> the fiction efforts. And every it's, like, it's really hard to talk about Werner Herzog without smiling, um, because you know we enjoy his cinema so much i don't i think he's aware of what he's doing in his cinema um he's 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 so self aware and 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 so and and it's something performative about it um and part of the origins of that chapter was um he Werner Herzog taught one of these master classes online. You know, these are very popular now. Famous people will teach screenwriting, or you cooking with Gordon Ramsay, or whatever. And Werner Herzog taught one on documentary filmmaking, or I think that was. It. And so, as a birthday present, Richard and I took the class online together, and we got to. <laughs> so we essentially became sort of stu. We became students of Herzog in this really indirect way, and it was great fun in, to watch. Herzog explained the mechanics of of his filmmaking in this context. And it's it, it at times it's a it was a really gonzo effort. I mean, you know, he starts, yes. you get a sense that he probably recorded these 27 or 30 um, episode teaching modules at once and he starts to get frustrated with his own sort of pedagogy and he starts to to really get really animated and so it moves between these sort of aphoristic um, discussions of film and then really basic things like make sure you tell everyone on set to turn off your cell phones um mm-hmm when you're making films, you know, we're not squirrels, we don't go and collect nuts, and we have to really think about film. So it was fun to, to, and so, and I had written about that for Art Forum, a small piece where I recounted like summer school with Richard taking this, this course um, with Herzog, and so that was part of the genesis of that chapter, but we've always been great admirers of Herzog, and I, there are a lot of people who will listen to this podcast who will identify with that mm-hmm. sort of, um, difficult romance that, you know, you form when you watch Herzog's films over the years. And so it, that chapter in particular was a nice way to begin the book because it it begins with the kind of fraught relationship that we have with a filmmaker whose films we admire so much and who leave us scratching our heads. And rather than just sitting around and scratching our heads, we thought, why not engage these, in this case, three filmmakers in a way that would start for us to answer questions that we pose when we are viewers of these films and we try to place them within a larger arc of discussions about evidence and feeling and how does anthropology deal with the image etc cetera, etc cetera. so um that really was the part of the genesis of these chapters and how we organized the book yes yeah that's
0: right of course of the three herzog is the closest to being a traditional filmmaker if we in narrative filmmaker um uh, obviously as you have pointing out we're, we're we're basing most of our discussion on documentaries that each of them have done but herzog has also done obviously fiction films where oppenheimer and Castang casting taylor actually is an anthropologist so yeah. um it's definitely he is probably of the three the most uh actually probably closest to you folk you two as far as your general a uh, desire to keep yeah. with film, but also within anthropology and then Oppenheimer sort of in the middle between the three of them.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose. Well, I think, uh, I don't know, I might be mistaken, but I think Oppenheimer received some training in the social sciences at least.
0: Well,
2: and, uh, and, and, and Castine Taylor, I mean, part of the interviews with part with uh, Paravel, his, his right. um, co, co-director of the Leviathan film, I mean, they have a very troubled relationship to anthropology. You know, they describe themselves as recovering anthropologists at at different points in in interviews and things. And so so these are also filmmakers who I think all three of them have a relationship to anthropology and yet
1: have a, you know... And Well, and they have a relationship to each other. I mean, Werner Herzog is in there. I mean, as as you mentioned, he's by far the most well-known, the most widely watched of the three filmmakers. And we can see, uh, I mean, at least from our perspective, we can see certain correspondences that run between these filmmakers that you could say, I mean, a certain kind of influence, I think, that Herzog has had. I mean, Herzog's concerns... Is what we, you know, what we call a kind of a mania for origins, for example, and a very, a very fraught and complex relationship with the audience that often um, sort of deploys and tries to generate certain forms of violence, even as it's depicted on screen in one form or another. Uh, there are certain kinds of formal characteristics that Herzog has deployed throughout his career that we also detect. Uh, perhaps being put to very different uses at times but we nevertheless see a correspondence in how they go about their work that gives the the, the sort of putting them together in this context uh, a kind of coherence that allows us to talk about some of the larger issues that uh, that come up in this this particular kind of filmmaking so there's there is that kind of logic as well i think herzog um, is is not as far from uh anthropology in some ways a certain kind of anthropology or certain anthropological concerns uh, than, than it might seem at first, even though I'm not really sure what he would think about that himself. He would probably disavow what I'm saying <laughs> uh, and that's okay. That's fine. I, th- I think that's part of the relation, but um, but yeah, there is a coherence at least for us that I hope does come through in, in what we've written, like why we've written about them together. Well, also with Herzog, I mean, you can't, it's
2: very difficult to understand the nonfiction documentary films without under without first appreciating the his narrative films or his, his yes. uh you know fic, fictional films i mean you can't you have to watch angiri to really understand into the abyss or cave of <laughs> forgotten dreams i mean there is a really tight correspondence between these films and then of course you know is it i always forget the exact title that dieter dieter has to fly little dieter
1: has to fly I think. little
2: dieter yeah. has to fly yeah. i mean which is Basically, the documentary um, basis, you know, the real life basis of um, the Rescue Dawn film. Sorry, Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Look that up. Um, Is the documentary basis of one of his later fiction films with, you know, Christian Bale. And so there are these correspondences already in the films. But they so that's, in fact, actually in the chapter, that's why we sort of step out of the strictly – the strict focus on nonfiction or documentary film and bring his other films to bear, including like his most recent work salt and fire, which was a film that came out, I think 2016 2016. and which is, I mean, which is a film that is sort of about the Anthropocene. It's sort of about environmental pressures. It's also as though an alien has written a script and had very famous actors perform it's a it's a bizarre film yeah you you don't it's hard to find a register for it and so we wanted to think through those films as well in that chapter as a chapter on prehistory really you know what is the search for origins what is the search for you know what is what is herzog's kind of compulsion towards trying to understand human nature but we wanted to not just limit it to his nonfiction efforts because he doesn't limit it to limit it to his nonfiction efforts right
0: how did you decide that these were the three you wanted? I mean, was it a matter that you that they just sort of came together in your minds as you were thinking about this book? Or was it a matter that one led to the other? Or, you know, obviously, three makes sense. And like we've already talked about, there's some, some commonality among the three. But what led you to these three? And in what order, I guess?
1: Well, I, well yeah, that's a great question. I suppose. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Herzog, as we've mentioned, has been kind of floating around in our minds for quite some time. Uh, we do mention Herzog in our previous book, um, and even in some of our previous writings. I think even ten years ago. Oh, good lord! A, yeah. You know, I so uh, so we had engaged with his work before. It's kind of uh, comes to the fore. By our our own forth. compulsion. Our own sort of compulsion. Uh, but like I said before, I mean, I think it really started to cohere as a particular set of questions engaging with Joshua Oppenheimer's work. Yeah. And actually, to be honest, I mean, Leviathan uh, was also released at about the same time, and that really raised a lot of questions yeah. for us both in what what the filmmakers were intending with such a, you know, such a strikingly unique uh, and original sort of formal way of constructing uh, and producing this film. So the order of it, in, in a way, is kind of hard to to discern, I would say that trying to, in, in an immediate short term, make sense of Oppenheimer, make sense of casting Taylor and his collaborators in Sweetgrass as well. Trying, trying to sort of get a grasp on those in the short term, um, led us to connect them and led us also to, to Herzog, uh, as well, just as a kind of framing because Herzog's heard we do sense that Herzog's uh, his his project in linking human origins to a certain kind of violence of the prehistoric and a violence of the contemporary, just a sort of a kind of overwhelming kind of naturalized, saturating violence of our being is, is something that that works its way into other filmmakers. Uh, you know, it works. It, it becomes part of their films in a way that I think we needed yeah. to connect and make explicit. Yeah,
2: and those are. I mean, those are major concerns for Oppenheimer, certainly in relationship to the violence that you know that humans visited upon other humans. Um, with Kess with Kesk and Taylor, you know, we have you know this relationship between the human and the natural world, and both of those things are at play in Herzog's film. So it was sort of a natural way to in, like to enter into the discussion in the book. Like Richard was saying, it's it's they're definitely bookending Oppenheimer, the chapter on Oppenheimer. And then also, I mean, just thinking about the why did we choose three, to get back to your original question, which is why just these three? I mean, it has good symmetry. Sure. Um, but also we wrote the book for us, a German press, August Verlag, and in their series, they have a series called Kleine Edition, which are these small, relatively small essays, usually about between 100 and 150 pages. Um, they're meant to be kind of very focused discussions around a particular topic. Um, and it's a press that publishes both in German and in English. And. But their focus is not film studies it certainly isn't anthropology it's much more oriented towards philosophy and critical theory um and so in working and i've worked with that press before and they're people that both richard and i have known for years um and because they're associated with this they're the imprint of a much larger art press this uh, Walter Koenig which is you know one of the sort of world's leading art presses we thought you know what a nice place to situate this discussion which is as you mentioned in your earlier comments that is really drawing from anthropology and really our fields where we sort of started our work and taking seriously film as something to be worked upon we thought this would be also a good home for this kind of discussion um, because it wouldn't simply be, um, it wouldn't simply fit under the category of film studies. It wouldn't simply be fitting under the category of philosophy or critical theory, or even anthropology. It would be made visible in, um, in places where people buy books about film and art. So that was also part of the motivation, thinking about the mechanics of of why certain books appear in certain places. Um, that was definitely one of the reasons. And we wanted to, be part of a longer conversation that's happening with August Verilog, which is a really uh, just an utterly fantastic, mm. um, press and an effort that's, I think, I mean, it's pushing 10 over 10 years now that they've been publishing books. And if you, at the, in the back of the book, if, it, if people buy the book flip to the back and see the other things that they're publishing, mm. it's, it's absolutely from Brandon Joseph's work to, I mean, you know, to translations of, Contemporary and sort of modernist thinkers, and yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty significant effort. So we wanted to also place this book in that context, and that was one of the reasons why it took the form it did. Because three small chapters organized around a fairly prescribed, um, you know, set of concerns regarding nature and violence.
0: Yes, Richard, did uh, Oppenheimer particularly reach out to you, given that you're. So much of your study was in the areas of, you know, the, the area where he was working, Indonesia and over in, the, in that part of the world. Is that particularly, did that reach you, you know, in, in an unusual way?
1: Uh, do you mean, do you mean that the works or do you mean? Just the, uh, the, the, the subject matter. Right. His work. So the subject matter.
0: Because yeah. they happen to be an area of the world that you obviously have studied yourself.
1: Uh, Yes. Well, it certainly did. I mean, uh, the, the way in which uh, he takes up the Indonesian massacres in 1965 and 1966 is something that, uh, I was quite familiar with in my own sort of, uh, training and ethnographic work. And so of course, you know, I, I had that kind of interest in it in the beginning. Um, and certainly the way in which he deploys particular concepts of trauma and of healing and talks about but in a in a way that we in the book criticize i say I would say quite sharply talking about justice uh, in In ways that were familiar to me, you know, because uh, one of the things that that does come up in this in the study of Southeast Asia, the study of Malaysia or Indonesia or the Malay world more broadly, uh, is the difficulty in coming to terms with uh, what happened in 1965 and 66, like giving some sort of explanation for it, being able to. To come to terms with it historically, politically, or otherwise is one that was quite familiar to me. So I was very interested in, in what he had to say and how he took this up. He takes it up in a very unusual way in that he engages, for the most part, he engages those men who are still living who perpetrated the killings. And I thought that this was really uh, something that one should pay close attention to. Now I think that this is a, a highly problematic and I think Todd and I both sort of sat down to think about why this struck us uh, as as we say in the book why it feels wrong. Yeah, I mean, why it feels uh, yeah. wrong. And so that's how my regional interest then immediately came into our shared interest in critical theory and visual uh, art visual anthropology and so on. But yes, of course and of course there is some advantage I mean there are there is something to be said for being able to go go a little deeper in the film and be able to check the language, for example. I mean, I'm able to understand the language that's being spoken on screen. I'm a bit rusty, but I, you know, I kind of got back into it and, and and honed my ear back up to be able to understand Bahasa Indonesia. Uh, there are, uh, are certain aspects of the Indonesian language that are deeply subtle that don't come through in the translation that, uh, that we're able to sort of bring to light in the book and talk about. And I think my, my training as an anthropologist going off to Southeast Asia to do more traditional ethnographic work was, uh, was one valuable thing that I could bring to our joint project, which, uh, which was important. And, I, and the one final thing I'll say is that some of the best critical thinkers on violence uh, on the ambiguity of what hoppenheimer is trying to do not only in indonesia but just in a more general way um some of them are themselves anthropologists specializing in the uh, you know in indonesia james uh, siegel would be one who comes up who is a person who has influenced my work for a long time i mean i had the opportunity to study a little bit under james siegel not uh he didn't supervise my dissertation or anything my phd but uh you know taking some courses and seminars and being able to engage with this work through uh some of the the classic uh at least anthropological engagements with just a, a kind of overwhelming violence uh such as that that took place in indonesia was also something that that kind of came into it so so that regional engagement was also helpful in that sense and just some of the best people who write about this in a more general sense have done so from the perspective of trying to understand what happened in indonesia at that time so can i just i just would like to add just one thing to
2: that which is about the joys of collaboration with that chapter in particular you know i know the you know we we engage ruth lees's work and Eve mm-hmm. have said work and a number of people around trauma performativity. And, and I certainly knew the literature, meaning like I had read James Siegel or Rosalind Morrison, Rosalind Morris and, and Patricia Spire. Um, and certainly read Richard's work for years. Um, but I think after we watched those films and we were in agreement that they felt wrong, that there was something wrong there. We wanted to puzzle through that. Um, it was really, it was great to work with Richard on that chapter because I mean, I certainly, I was, I was able to see those films and to think about them in a different way through a different lens and a lens that I wouldn't have had because I'm not, I don't work in that region. I don't speak the language, you know? And so that was really, it was super gratifying for me. And it was a really fun chapter to work on. And in some ways that's kind of the, the push and pull and the benefit of having multiple perspectives working on a problem like that. Cause I think it's, it's also, you know, it's also the kind of chapter, because it's critical, it's not dismissive. And I think this is something I want to want to get. That's right. We want to sort of lock that down. It's not a dismissive chapter. In fact, you know, we reject the critics who call this kind of a cultural pornography. Like we reject that notion. And we also simultaneously reject the the overly simplistic but i like the film it looked nice it was technically great that kind of perspective as well we're trying to, we're doing something different in this chapter but it is critical and so to work on that chapter together and then have richard with a uh, with a regional expertise but also just to have someone in you know a, a, a shared sort of engagement and also to have an interlocutor during the cool. the writing i think was particularly helpful but i think it's also the joy of collaboration for that chapter for me in particular it was it was a way to move simply from secondary sources into a much more um, a much more sort of woven understanding of the primary material and the secondary sources and the history and the different ways this, these events have been represented, including the representation. And it is a representation in these two films, the look of silence and the um, act of killing. So um, that was it was really mm-hmm. nice. And I yes. think that's where the process of collaborative writing, but more importantly, collaborative thinking. Well, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <You> know, collaborative <laughs> writing is much easier in the age of like shared Google Docs and whatever. I mean, that's a you know, you, right. you don't have to send a fax anymore to, you know, send a current <laughs> draft. Um, but the, the shared thinking, I think, in that chapter in particular was was crucial. The Herzog right, chapter, the shared thinking was more kind of like, what have we been thinking about? What
1: that was more like shared
2: remembering. Yeah. Right? Shared remembering. Let's yeah. write down what we've been talking about and, and griping about and kvetching yeah. about in different ways for, for well over a decade.
0: Of course, if I were going to be writing about Oppenheimer's documentaries, I would be thinking about the concepts of reenactments in documentaries and documentaries and the controversies related to that, not only obviously in Oppenheimer, but in, in many filmmakers and yes. in particular in the filmmaking industry, the concept of documentaries with, yep. with reenactments and the, the possible problems with that. Yeah.
2: I mean, certainly I would say, I would say that if there's a chapter missing in here, I, it would probably be a chapter on Errol Morris, right. and it would be great fun to think about as another right. as another one of the kind of book-ending uh, chapters. And certainly, like, Herzog and, and Errol Morris are, I don't know, I mean, I forget who produced that We're ex- executive producers on Oppenheimer's films, but, you know, they're in the mix somewhere. There's a dialogue that's online somewhere between Errol Morris and Herzog about Oppenheimer or something like this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, Oppenheimer having a connection to... Harvard and to the people that are working there. Um, And so there's, there seems to be like, there's a very, there there are family resemblances between the problems and concerns and all of these filmmakers. and I think that's also kind of why they fit within a particular universe. And then also, and the other thing that would be missing would be also the, that we mentioned briefly in the last chapter, but also the collaborators. Um, In Cassian Taylor's films, for instance, like um, Verena Parnell, I mean, Mm -hmm. she's Parvell has been working on different films in different ways. And certainly if we were going to extend that chapter, we would extend it into the other priorities of of collaborators, considering that we take collaboration so so seriously ourselves. And by the way, you're right.
0: Um, Look of Silence was executive produced by both of you. Werner Herzog and Errol there Morris yeah, and also, unsurprisingly had to put in a third the third person, but as i say it 's not a surprise then that uh, they 're all involved together, and Errol Morris yes. is an interesting filmmaker for what he does and and not only just in film he 's writing and all kinds of things that he 's done. I find him to right. be incredibly interesting, so i agree. oh absolutely no, well, it's sure awesome. and,
1: well, and that 's part of the point of you know uh, coming back briefly to an earlier question that you asked i mean I think that you know even even at times in a somewhat sharper critical mode i mean we we do try to write about works that we where we are inviting those who, uh, you know, those readers that may not have experienced those works to actually go and look at them themselves, yes. regardless of whether we're saying, you know, this is a really great film, or this is a deeply problematic film that we have a lot of, uh, you know, we take a lot of issue with as we do with Oppenheimer's films, for example. Uh, but we would, we would say that uh, part of this is an invitation to go and and, and look at it for yourselves. We don't, you know, the, the, the mode of critical engagement that seeks to sort of destroy access to the original works, I think is really quite harmful. It's dangerous. And it's dangerous. And so we wouldn't want to be mistaken for that, even in our disagreement with some of the things that we see in the films that we talk about in our, in violence is fabled experiment. Um, so that's, you know, I think that's an important thing to remember. I think that, you know, sometimes we do get comments back like, Woo, you know, are you trying to, Pick a fight. Pick a fight. Or are you trying to wave people off from some of these works? And and emphatically, we would say no. Uh, but, you know, um, that but it's but it's a hard kind of engagement. I mean, a critical engagement, a really meaningful critical engagement is a hard engagement sometimes. Yeah. And I hope that it's taken in that spirit. Now, coming back to the question about reenactments as well. I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time. We do mention it in this book, but, and we mention it ki- kind of as a defense almost of what Oppenheimer, and to, to some degree in some films, Herzog does as well. And if we go back to realizing the witch and talking about a film like Hexen, Hexen is all about reenactments. And we, yeah. we treat that uh, with a, an extensive, you know, we extensively engage the, the, the practice of reenactment or the technique uh, of reenacting as a way of getting at a kind of truth about the world or, or displaying something that happened, uh, in the world and how problematic and how powerful that can be. So, so we do make reference to our previous work and don't take it up as much. We, you know, it is, it's a shorter book. And so we did have to, at times, you know, it's, it's a success when there's something left unsaid. And so we, we have more work to do. Uh, but reenactment is certainly one of the things that kind of brings at least Herzog and Oppenheimer directly together. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but there is qualities in all of the films that touch on that issue. Um,
0: yeah, and I, I I don't want to leave out Casting Taylor because we've obviously spent a, most of our time talking about Herzog and Oppenheimer. But I would say of the three, obviously Casting Taylor is probably the one most people would probably not know unless they were within a particular area of, of interest because uh obviously as we've already said uh, he's an anthropologist and you know working anthropologist i guess but uh also has worked in film in in other media uh let's real briefly if you if you don't mind talk a little bit about how castane taylor fits in with the other two as far as uh his works and the
1: concept of violence Okay. Well, I mean, I I can start with that. I mean, Casting Taylor, actually, you're right. I think he's the the less known of the three. Although he, we shouldn't forget that he's, he's had quite a, a, you know, a reasonable amount of success uh, on, uh, you know, the, the festival tour anyway. He, in 2013, I mean, Leviathan was, was judged as the best. British film, I believe of, uh, of the entire festival. And so it is a prize, you know, he's pulling in some of the big time prizes and, and doing pretty well for himself, even if he's not as popularly well known, but, but he does have that uh, going. And now, as far as how he fits in the book, I mean, you know, there is something really interesting about uh, a film like Leviathan that in our reading figures, human nature in such a, such an abject way, Right. Uh, I mean, the way in which nature can just, you know, work to uh, obliterate um, the possibilities of human understanding um, or just the the kind of sociality and interaction that we take for granted as anthropologists i think this is you know some of his critique of anthropology so we wanted to take up like what what is he trying to say about a kind of foundational human nature with a film that seeks to just uh, you know in a so, almost somatic kind of way overwhelm the audience to to if not attack the audience at least you know really assault the audience directly in a violent sort of way uh, um, which i think leviathan uh, sweetgrass to a lesser degree can also do this it has its own sensory kind of intensity but it has a bit more of a direct uh, kind of discernible narrative thread that i think leviathan really resists for the most part Um, so we wanted to explore the implications of this and of this this kind of assumption about who or what human beings are, which is how we, you know, the question that we kind of take up with all of the filmmakers. Um, And casting Taylor is in some ways uh, the darkest and most innovative of all, but also it's, it's very interesting how we could discern correspondences uh, with Uh, Some of the earliest of anthropological works like E.B. Tyler, for example, uh, which is very unfashionable to say nowadays, but nevertheless, we could we could detect a kind of correspondence with anthropology's original concerns uh, that we felt also needed to be brought to the fore, even against the perhaps the wishes of the filmmaker who tends to or the filmmakers. I think they both in this case, uh, uh, the two filmmakers disavow these connections to anthropology in a way that I think is a little bit, if not disingenuous, it's a little bit misleading. And so we we do try to, to engage that and bring that back a little bit as well. So it's it's E.B. Tyler or someone like A.B. Vorberg who comes into this as well. And A.B. Vorberg who had a very strong understanding of a kind of, you know, transhistorical humanness in that takes, you, you know, in the, the context of forms that survive over long periods of time that seem to transcend time uh, and make us human in, in a way. Um, there was there was so much of this, it was so kind of provocative. Uh, trying to trying to come to terms with a film like Leviathan or really all all of his recent films uh, that led us back into these these foundational kinds of debates in, in anthropology and in art history. So A. B. Borberg would be a bit more about art history as well, um, but we you know in in a respectful way, but in hopefully a very clear way, we try to we also do try to connect. Um, some of the efforts that's happening in a contemporary, you know, in contemporary scenes, like in, um, in anthropology or in cinema. Uh, and when we can see the correspondence with those that were kind of engaging with this in in generations before us, we try to say that. Yeah. It's quite easy to have an amnesia to think that we've invented something when, in fact, we've simply reactivated something. And that is something that we that we're very concerned about and that we talk about in the book.
2: Yeah. And especially with the, with Leviathan, you know, we don't we're not our aim is certainly not to reconcile the relationship between
1: human beings and nature. No, no.
2: But it definitely is to, you know, begin to satisfy a question that we've asked of ourselves in our in our and we watch this film, like how is something when we watch this film? How is something that is so crushing simultaneously? So like inviting, like you're taking in way. When I watch Leviathan, I'm, I am drawn into that film and yet feel crushed by that film. So what does it mean to have that kind of relationship to the film? Certainly. And it's, I've, I've shown this film in my, in my courses before. And, you know, the students often react in much in the same way, which is, they are you know they're smacked around by this film pretty good Mm -hmm. and then they say i'll get evaluations and they're like this was (laughs) the greatest moment that i had in the course Mm -hmm. watching leviathan you know with the volume turned up to 11 and um yeah so it's like i think part of the effort in the the book is to is not to say okay this is the final word on this relationship but just simply to say how can we begin? How can we actually enter a conversation about Leviathan that doesn't accept the premise that much like with Oppenheimer's film that doesn't accept the premise that we can't discursively think through mm-hmm. the problems right. uh, that are on screen? Right. And yet at the same time, acknowledge and I think this is where especially with Leviathan, acknowledge the project that the filmmakers are um are engaged in on their terms. Um, so it's that it's a combination of things. It's also our effort here is not to historicize, but at the same time to think of these films as part of a much longer, longer arc of thinking within the field of anthropology in particular. Um, but like Richard said, like within our history as well. So that's, it's so much of this book is just like Leviathan is demonstrative. You know, we're demonstrating how we are thinking about these films, you know, leviathan is a demonstration of the priority the conceptual priorities of a filmmaker who is moving into this mode of sensory ethnography and using images and sound to do that and so we're trying to think along with that and simultaneously we have our own priorities and our own ways of of um Mm -hmm. of of, of sussing out the genealogy that could help us better understand these films
1: well yeah i mean if, if i had to sum it up in in a much Shorter way to at least in a certain sense, if not explicitly foreclose on the idea that we can think our own being seems to overwhelm us to the degree that we, we can feel our being, but not think our being. And I'm not sure that that's what was intended by the filmmaker, but that seems to be what happens quite often. I mean, I was physically ill during Leviathan just be, because of the the overwhelming uh, a sort of sensory overload that the film uh, produces in, in the the and
2: this is the critique too. you have to take it's, Dramamine yeah, before you watch the film. Before
1: exactly, which it's is a, what kind? How do yeah. you think alongside this film? Yeah. I mean, this is this is really mm-hmm. something that the the filmmakers themselves seem to challenge us to do and make very very difficult for us to do. And they're aware of the critiques, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we take so we take them up.
0: That's yeah. funny that you say that about uh, getting needing Dramamine. I still remember for whatever it's worth. I mean, I didn't think much of the film, but the Blur Witch Project, when I walked out of that theater, I had a splitting headache. Because of all yeah, the would, found yeah. footage and yeah.
2: no, the constant <laughs> right. movement yeah. going With, on, it was
0: like, "Whoa, that was a little the bit much." Blair Witch Project: The Death of Cinema Verite. <laughs> um, that was the first of the found footage films, and uh, unfortunately, it's, uh, we could do without That's those. <laughs> of course, yeah, I also best. have to appreciate Todd's in making sure that he puts in a sly reference to this is Spinal Tap when we're talking about fake documentaries. We should always <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, making okay. sure that we go to eleven. You know, I. I
1: oh, very <laughs> nice. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah nicely picked up sir
0: nice well done. done yes what like i say i'm i'm a 'm a fan of both documentaries and fake documentaries, so I guess uh, that 's why it works uh well anyway i I think there's no question that if at the very least besides reaching out for your book, I hope this uh, gives people an idea to start reaching out for these films, as I said before, I suspect some of these I mean, obviously, the filmmakers are going to be known but to many, but uh, hopefully nowadays, especially with the advent of streaming and all kinds of sources for films that uh, people can reach out and see some of these these films and get their own ideas I, I suspect showing uh leviathan on a on a small screen isn't going to be as interesting but still uh i sus- i i hope that as uh people spend some time with your book that they also make sure to to take a closer look at the at the works you talk about and and, and get better yes. understandings of how these all work to get things all work together
1: Yes, certainly. Yes, yes, that would be, uh, you know, and uh, w- one of the the good things uh, coming out of uh, doing the work like this and making the engagement would be uh, would be that result. So that's certainly the case. And I suppose if if we can just you know take up the the larger issue of this book or of realizing the witch in its own way, I mean, it seems to be increasingly difficult to think ourselves in the world today, uh, and so. There's all sorts of different ways in which people turn to, to their own kind of feeling of the world, that their their own sort of affect of being in the world and taking that as sort of mistaking that for being the truth of the world, right? And I think that thinking through these kinds of questions, and these are some of the much more abstract and theoretical questions that I, we're interested in, in in all of our projects, but taking, taking that challenge, I think, would also be a, a, a nice... Uh, you know, a nice result of having engaged with something that yeah. that we've put together. Um, I th- I think that's uh, quite often, and I think sometimes even the films that we take up in this book uh, tend to foreclose on the possibility of thinking with not only works, uh, creative works of art or thinking with texts, but just thinking ourselves. And so we, we turn to other forms of, tr- of being in the world that I, are not always very helpful. We just, we feel without yeah. thinking. And if, and that kind of foreclosure, whether intentional or not is one that, I don't know, maybe we're a bit out of step. Maybe we're a bit old fashioned in some sense, but I would really like us to return to that, that question as well. Uh, because it often, it tends right, to slide yeah. by.
2: I think that's, that's absolutely it. And this is this book and the book before it, I mean, these were, we paused a little bit on these films. I mean, if, if anything, if there's ever a demonstration of the admiration that we have for the filmmakers that we're talking about, including Christensen, which we try to make, we, you know, we're critical in a way of Christensen as well. I mean, we're pausing on these films and really trying to dwell on them rather than moving quickly through them. And if that's, if, even though we're, our mode is a critical one, um, there's a critique, but there's also a kind of what I would like to think is kind of a deeper thinking about what these films mean or could mean. Um, you know, we're 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 trying to slow down and, and really take the time to to think through them, and so that's part of I think the the effort here to think alongside, but also to pause in our age of. You know, streaming media and having access to everything—you know—to to pause and dwell on these these few films just for a moment and mm-hmm. think what they yes. what yeah. they have to offer.
0: So, yeah. yes, so, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the time. I'm f- particularly happy about the fact that you both are in the same room this time. I know when we yes, did our first interview, Berlin, Richard, Richard was <laughs> in it was in Edinburgh. And Todd yes. was in Shanghai, and it was interesting just trying to come up with a time where the three and I'm of course in the United <laughs> States, Eastern right. time zone. So trying to find a time that the three of us that time to I don't even remember what time we recorded, but it was one of those things where trying to put those all together was very interesting. And I suspect at least one of us cool. was exhausted by the time it was over, depending <laughs> on the time zones. But uh, anyway, thank you for joining me for this. I really hope that, as I said before, people will reach out for for the book, and also, like I said before. You know, get a new view, even if they have some uh, knowledge of of the filmmakers already, that uh, a different way of looking at them and and, and a new point of view that that I think you both bring to, to, to the study of their work.
1: Well, thanks Joel yes well thanks very much we, we always enjoy getting together and chatting with you no matter where we are in the world so, right? <laughs> oh
0: no maybe next so, year the so next time you publish a that. book thanks that we talk
1: much. about we'll both we'll all three be in the
0: same time zone that would be interesting anyway yeah uh, we'll, we'll keep working on that we'll do so, that for
1: the next book yeah yeah we'll keep writing and then we'll get it together we'll do it okay thanks a lot
0: for your time
1: alright well thank Joel. you thank you
0: thanks to Richard and Todd for their time In addition to reading the book, I hope this talk will help you to reach out and view the films of the three artists, whether for the first time or as a way to examine them differently. This is Joel Cherney, and we will be back soon with more New Books and Film on the New Books Network.